When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day from the University of Life, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And guess what, Kieran? It's our 100th episode. I know, it's... it's Really exciting. It is, yeah. You know, it's I left a pause there, Kieran, because I think producer guy will probably add in fireworks and celebration sound effects. Although I suspect our listeners will simply be saying, "What was that long silence about?" <laughs> well, it, it was really good to get the the email from producer guy telling us it was the hundredth, and and his idea of turning it into a bit like pointless, where where Alexander Armstrong and Richard o- o- Osman swap positions. So so I'm asking you the questions, and you're answering them. Yeah, the only, the only trouble is I know how much those two get paid for doing pointless, so that's a very unfortunate analogy, actually, Kieran. Uh, yes, but 100 episodes, which I'm rather proud of, to be perfectly honest, and, and what better way to celebrate such a significant milestone than with an unexpected lockdown uh, and an interview with the commercial director at Watford. We spoke to Paul O'Brien about the challenges he faces right now, and I think it's fair to say, Kieran, it was a very illuminating interview and a very interesting to hear somebody who loves a club actually work for it. Yeah, it, it must be quite a challenge in some way when you're a fan and, and you end up working for the club that you love. Uh, and, and listening to Paul, yeah, that has positives and negatives you, yeah. because you, you can't switch off because it's it's your club in two ways, of course. Yeah. Anyway, so it's Thursday, Kieran, so that's Newsday. And guess what? Despite our efforts over 100 pods, the news keeps happening. It's amazing, isn't it? You, we thought we would have it resolved by by pod 60, but there you go. There's um, another lockdown in England, as we know, Kieran, which starts today. Any news yet, though, on what will happen to non-league football in the next four weeks? Well, uh, what the government has done is that it's split non-league football into elite and non-elite so the elite consists of National League, National League North and National League South. Now, those are the clubs that have received lottery funding. Yeah. Those matches are able to take place, as is the FA Cup first round, even if you're not an elite club. But everything below that tier has to now cease, which which is very paradoxical because mm. those are the matches to which fans have been attending. Mm. Um, socially distanced, no impact at all upon our rates, infection rates and so on. And, you know, speaking as somebody that's been to a few of them, you, you come out of it feeling quite good. So uh, it does seem rather strange. And, and when it comes to, to women's football, the WSL is deemed to be elite. Uh, I think it's WSL 1 and 2. So I, I live in Sussex, as you know. I live quite close to, to Lewis, so this now means that, that Lewis's uh, women's team, their matches can take place, but mm. the men's team can't because Lewis, Lewis women's team are deemed to be elite and the men's not elite. So it, it's, it makes it really frustrating if you're trying to run the club, trying to generate any money, that uh, th- th- there are these huge inconsistencies taking place. Mm. 
Well, huge inconsistencies is probably what you'd expect. The the only consolation is that it, it the noises are that this lockdown will only last for just about four weeks, so they can at least plan for coming out of this short tunnel, can't they? Well, that, that's that's the hope. Uh, and, and remember, for all of those clubs that are non-elite, uh, yeah, I appreciate the players are probably on boot money, so furlough will kick in and things of that nature, but they've still got other bills to pay. Yeah, they've yeah. still got rent and rates and so on. Um, and unless they can get some form of support for that, there, there's a genuine uh, chance of quite a few clubs going to the wall, which, which you, you, if, you, if you're coming back to nothing, then, then you've got to think about what, what is the purpose of it all. Mm. we've got more sort of lockdown finance stories to talk about but I wanted to move this story up a little bit because it relates to something that we uh, will be asking uh, Paul O'Brien the Watford commercial director although I should say we did ask because um, we, we do mess with people's minds with the tenses on this don't we we've got an interview coming up that we've already done I so, so. Um, this is a very interesting one because we've kind of predicted this would happen to English football in the near future, but it's happening in Spain now because La Liga clubs have been told to cancel all sponsorship deals with betting companies by the end of the season. Was this unexpected? I don't think so. Uh, There's certainly been noises coming from Spanish politicians that this would be the case. And and it is noticeable that it is the government which is taking the lead on this. Um, Once again, football failing to, to regulate itself in a way that many other people find acceptable. So uh, in Spain, yeah, this, is, this is worth around about €90 million Euros a year to, right. to clubs. Seven clubs out of 20 in La Liga um, are sponsored front of shirt by betting companies. Now, when you then start to go into the small print, you, you've got the likes of Real, who are Real Madrid, who also have overseas sponsors on a local basis. I think those deals will still carry through. La Liga itself has a uh, sponsorship deal uh, with, with a betting organisation, which is going to have to cancel. Um, and you you do feel an element of sympathy for the clubs because everybody's desperate for cash at present. But then some of the other things you're hearing, I don't know whether you're aware that that uh, Bristol City, uh, no. their sponsors, they've That's been right. handing out leaflets to people. Yeah. Uh, you know, bet ten pounds, win twenty, or or you know something of this nature. If if that leaflet comes through your door and you've got a betting problem and it's the name of one of the local football clubs, and you're already in a dark place. It's it's not going to help, um, and some of the stories I've been reading in in the last couple of months, uh, Paddy Power was was paying people commission to introduce them to yeah. problem gamblers. So yeah, that's that really does not reflect well on the industry. You've got Paddy Power and Ladbrokes who had uh, who. Uh, found somebody who'd uh, who'd picked up half a million pounds from a medical negligence case, mm. and that half a million pounds went into their pockets. You know, and when things of this nature do do arise, those people who are cheerleaders for the betting industry in football, I, I think they've got you know they're they're they're, they're skating on thin ice. Um, responsible gambling can take place. I'm not denying that, but some of the some of the strategies being used by the gambling companies uh, really paint it in a dark light. Yeah, well, the sponsors of Bristol City really haven't done themselves any favours because the the leaflets are actually quite funny in a way. It's, it's a sort of Paddy Power approach. They, they take the mickey out of Bristol Rovers a little bit and some other West Country clubs. But as many people have pointed out, if, if, if you're just going back into lockdown and you've 
you know, you're furloughed or you've lost your cash in hand job and you get a leaflet that's offering a cheap way of doubling your money this is a time when you think i really need money and you're going to you're you're going to see that as an an incentive and it's just it's just not right the timing's the, you know, well, the timing's never right but i just thought that was a very poor piece of work um back into the world of bailouts and lockdowns the premier league has agreed to help championship clubs but only those who can prove that they are in need is this going to lead to some creative accounting kieran well uh, i think the creative accounting's already taken place uh, I mean, the good news is this is on top of League One and League Two's £50 million loan stroke grant offer. So it, it is going to be ring-fenced separately to that. Um, looking at clubs in the championship, you can see where the where the Premier League is coming from. You know, if, if I was Steve Parrish, uh, I, wouldn't, my, I wouldn't be happy about money which had been earned by my club going to necessarily a club such as Stoke City, where they're owned by Bet365, sort of tying into our last story. Bet365, incredibly successful business. So it doesn't need financial help. So a one-size-fits-all solution um, didn't really make sense to me. There's seven clubs in receipt of parachute payments. There's two clubs in, in, the, uh, in the championship that refuse to publish their accounts. So we don't yeah. know what, what the state of their finances are. And they're doing that because they're in dispute with the EFL about something else. Um, there's loads of clubs who are paying wages which are not sustainable. You've got uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, Birmingham, Reading. All of those clubs have sold their stadiums to the club owners. So if, if they can afford to do that and get money from the club owners, do they need to get money from the likes of you know, Brighton Palace, Burnley and yeah. so on, who, who aren't hugely rich clubs to begin with? Um, at the same time, Millwall, Luton, Rotherham, yeah, there are plenty of clubs who have come up from League One who probably are in need of assistance. So mm. yeah, the devil's always in the detail, but this, this does seem to have some merit um, and it is showing that the Premier League is not ignoring uh, other clubs in need. Premier League clubs also want to scrap pay-per-view broadcasts during lockdown. Is this another uh, piece of evidence for my theory that it wasn't the Premier League clubs that were particularly keen on pay-per-view broadcasts in the first place? Um, I, I, I think that they they were keen, but they, they weren't keen on pissing off all of their fan base by charging 15 quid a pop. Right. Um, I mean, I, I went on... Uh, I, I went on Sunday night to to a screening of our pay per view match at the Amex, mm. um, which is you know one of these ludicrous things that that I, that I can attend a football match indoors uh, with loads of other people around me, but I can't physically go to myself. And that that actually worked really well. But again, it's the thing which we've been saying is that football for us is being with like minded people. And and it was it was a good it was twenty quid but for that you got you got a, a drink a pint uh, a pie uh, and uh, another uh, more food at half time so you're actually getting quite something back uh, and and everybody was socially distanced no more than six people on a table you had to be in bubbles and so on um, so that that worked quite well they even they even had a competition. Uh, whereby you could uh, design a pie, you know, and one of them was get, got chosen. Sadly, my my cabin, camembert and chicken was uh, was was not top of the list, so so nobody got an opportunity to try out my cheesy cock that oh. night. <laughs> was that whole thing a build up to get a cheesy cock joke in? 
Absolutely. You well, know I'm 12. Really, I do know. Yeah, I was I was through my head. I was thinking crab. There's going to be a crab in his pie somewhere, <laughs> uh, which it being Brighton, it probably would have been. I imagine the winner was a sort of lobster and scampi affair, was it? With, <laughs> That's right. Um, um, you, so did you enjoy this? Uh, there was a worrying moment there, Kieran, when I checked the scores and you weren't losing. So that, that annoyed me. But then luckily, yeah. natural yeah, justice. Yeah, uh, because, because I was able to abuse the television in a way I would be along, yeah, along with two other, two, 200 other people when, when Harry Kane made that back you know it was it, it was Glenn Murray-esque in in the way that he created that free kick um so yeah an opportunity to abuse referees abuse abuse the opposition and so on that that's what we go to football for yeah um but I guess getting back to, to pay-per-view th- there is now a school of thought that let's just bin the whole thing off what one of the issues that we'll probably be talking to Paul about is should they give it away for nothing because if mm. you do I mean, I'm, I'm not certain that, that fans will then ever agree to, to a, some form of pay-per-view, or perhaps they should just reduce the price to something which makes far more common sense. Yeah, it's it's good of you to speculate what we might be talking to Paul about, considering that we did talk to him about it about 10 minutes ago. So uh, I never know what to do with the spoiler alerts on this on this thing. Um, still with the Premier League, surprise, surprise, the Premier League want to bypass the FA with special visas for foreign players post-Brexit. Now, if we could avoid the sort of special visas you've had in your travels, I'd be most grateful. But uh, I think this is something we predicted, didn't we, that the FA would, or the Premier League rather, would find a way around any Brexit-related rules to stop them importing top players. Well, that's what they, they want to do. I mean, the, the the Premier League want to be in a position whereby uh, under under the, the Brexit clause uh, that's going to be introduced. You can only uh, join the Premier League if you are an existing international. That will be based on your uh, FIFA ranking, looking at your existing salary, um, number of matches in the last year, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, So this would mean that, that there will be a global approach to recruiting overseas players, which would mean that the likes like the likes of David De Gea wouldn't qualify. Um, um, and, and so on, uh, should, should they have been picked up at that time. So you, you can see the frustration from the uh, Premier League club's perspective. But this is a classic case. We've got three governing bodies uh, in, in English football. We've got the Premier League, who doesn't give a stuff about the national team and therefore it wants to do what's best for the Premier League on an individual club basis. We understand that. The the clubs in the EFL, they're, they're not particularly bothered one way or the other because the vast majority of players that they recruit tend to be domestic anyway. So you know they'll, they'll go with the flow. And then you've got the FA, which wants to give this a big thumbs down because they feel that by recruiting players from overseas, it reduces opportunities for domestic players. Hmm. The evidence of that is is uncertain because you look at the likes of Brazil and Argentina. You know, they they export all of their players and, and they don't have an issue. Hmm. Um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. But the the Premier League is I think is trying as part of things such as the financial support for the EFL. It can now go to the government and say, look, we've bailed out our own industry. We've not used the furlough. We've been good guys through doing X, Y, and Z. Um, Give us some slack when it comes to over, over, uh, EU visas. Mm. Uh, now, Kieran, I'm not saying I wasn't 100% committed to listening to that answer because, of course, I was. But what was the winning pie? Can you remember? Uh, it was uh, Gammon and Leek. Yeah, of course it was. 
Thank you. I'm really pleased about that. If it had been some kind of state-based working class thing, I'd have been furious. Now, Kieran, uh, this week, Kieran saw the sad news that Sir Bobby Charlton has been diagnosed with dementia, but that just lends weight to the PFA supporting a request to classify dementia as an industrial disease in football, which would entitle affected players to financial support. And the PFA have helped fund researchers. I mean, it's a very... It's a very laudable idea, but it's, it strikes me it's very difficult to prove, isn't it, Kieran, even for footballers of Sir Bobby's generation who spent half their life heading very heavy objects? Yes, yeah. I mean, it, 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 is, it is a delicate subject. Anybody that's ever had uh, relatives or friends uh, suffer dementia, and, and I mean, the, the Baroness's mum had it, and, and, and I saw the, the, the deterioration of a person from the inside is a mm. horrible thing to observe. Yeah. But I think we've now seen both Charlton Brothers, Nobby Styles, Martin Peters, you know, all England's uh, World Cup heroes of 66, all, all, all succumbed to this, mm. this horrendous disease. Um, there, there was a study done by the University of Glasgow. If you are an ex-professional footballer, uh, you are three and a half times more likely to get uh, dementia. Really? Now, okay. So, so whether that is due to your career or whether it's due to the fact that the adrenaline that you have during your career to a certain extent drops off. Yeah, there are, there's not, there's not definitive proof that it was mm. heading the ball. Um, but the, the PFA, you know, um, they, they are potentially going to be sort of demanding annual screenings for their members. And if so, I think, I think both the Premier League and the EFL should, should agree to this. Mm. If, if it is classified as an industrial disease, it means that they're entitled to the, the industrial injuries disablement benefits, which, um, and people will say, well, footballers, you know, they, they don't need benefits. They're, they're, they're rich. If, if you, if you were playing in the sixties and the seventies, especially if you were playing in, in the lower leagues, you were not earning big money. Absolutely. And it's certainly gone by the time they retired. Um, Looking, looking over the pond, and we've often said that sort of much to our shame because we, we like to take the moral high ground here. Um, in the NFL, they've set up a, a concussion settlement fund for former players because clearly, yeah, that, that is a, that's a pretty wild sport when it comes to knocking heads. Um, and, and they've put in over eight hundred million dollars into that fund to provide compensation and you know it, for, to provide for healthcare um, for former players. Now, you know. $800 million in the States doesn't go very far, given given the, the nature of their healthcare system, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Looking at the PFA itself, um, I know they're saying the right things, but perhaps they could be doing a bit more. Um, I, I took a look at the, the PFA charity accounts yesterday morning. In the last two years, um, they have a total income of £54 million, Gordon Taylor has trousered over four million pounds, and dementia and concussion research three hundred grand. Oh, is that all? Yeah. So it doesn't look great, does it? And look, the PFA does lots and lots of good stuff to lots and lots of good causes. Yeah, of course. But this is in respect of their members, and and I think their members should be a priority. Well, they should do. I mean, the, the difference between that four million and three hundred thousand is is ludicrous, really, isn't it? Especially when they've been publicly calling for funds. To, to research into this. That's disappointing to hear. Now, Kieran, we've talked quite a lot on this uh, pod about possibly doing a, a top 10 wrong-ends pod, uh, and the idea has been very popular. But quite a few people have said, that, why, you know, for reasons of karma, why don't we do a top 10 Brighton's pod as well? Uh, and that's Brighton's, not Brighton's, by the way, for anybody listening. Um, and I think if we were to do a, a top 10 Brighton's pod, Accrington Stanley would be, would be very highly featured. And they've decided to refund... 
50% of season ticket money they've received for the season so far. That's right. And, and that's that's pr- pretty damn decent of a club because we know that clubs in League One and Two um, are so much more reliant upon match day income. But what Stanley did was as soon as the lockdown was announced, they said, well, we, we can't we can't morally keep that money ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Andy Holt, who who is one of my heroes, um, you know, if ever you met Andy or heard him, he, he is so down to earth and he is straight down the line as well. Yeah, there's no messing around with with Andy. Um, they've they've said to their fans, if you we, we give you half your money back straight away, you know, we might have to give you more back before the end of the season uh, if no matches are taking place and so on. But uh, I think it's 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 a it's a really good gesture from from the club because it knows that its fan base is local, it is working class, it is many people who have been furloughed, lost their jobs, and so on. And just before Christmas, an opportunity to to help people in need is is uh, is very laudable. Now, this is something we may well talk to Paul O'Brien about. We'll definitely talk to Paul O'Brien about. Um, me and around 15,000 other people bought Palace season tickets this season. We we agreed with Steve Paris's logic. It seems increasingly unlikely that me or any of the other 15,000 people will see a Palace game this season. Does that mean the free season tickets that we will get next year, which we've been promised, will presumably be kicking a cash flow problem down the road for, for Palace for quite some time, won't it? Yeah, I mean, th- this will un- unravel uh, over over a long period. Clearly, many clubs need cash now. So if fans, either through wanting to def- defer that refund or uh, you know, for, you know, out of love of their club, they choose to do so, then that will certainly help out individual clubs. Um, ultimately, you- you've not received any football this year, Kevin, so you're going to get your money back in some way, shape or form, um, which will cause a cash flow problem for you and diminish a cash flow problem for the club yeah okay well let's let's talk we've mentioned Paul O'Brien quite a lot now and I think we've covered some of the subjects we're going to talk to him about you'd imagine Kieran being the commercial director of a Premier League football club is quite the cushy number Uh, being the commercial director of a team recently relegated from the Premier League during a global pandemic must be far from easy especially if you're a massive fan of that club and earlier we spoke to Paul O'Brien who has that very task at Watford Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. And before we talk about the world turning upside down, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to Watford and what your job entails. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, mine uh, is a little bit of a strange story. I I didn't come the conventional way. I started my life. I, I come from a uh, extremely working class family family. Um, my stepfather thinks that you get a job 
uh, when you're 16 and that's your job for life. So he was a mechanic. My brother became a mechanic. Um, when I went home and told him that I've been accepted into sixth form, he wasn't too impressed because oh, that's wow. not really what happened in our world. So I went out, I um, became a panel beater and the deal I had with my mum and stepfather is that when I get my papers, I can do what I like. So for three years, I was a panel beater. Um, and the day I got um, my papers through, I handed in um, my notice and then started working at first, um, it's still in the car industry, but selling car parts, then um, ended up at Vauxhalls, ended up uh, in a sales department at Vauxhalls, worked into marketing. And then I met by accident, really, a long time ago, um, a chap called Richard Busby, who owns quite uh, then quite a large sponsorship agency mm. in London. And he was looking for someone outside of the industry to come in and it fitted uh, quite nicely to go in there. Maybe not as my personal life. I'd just become a father for a first time quite young. So um, it was a bit of a leap of, faith to the, a leap of faith to jump onto a train into London every day. But it taught me a lot. I worked from the bottom to account director from there. One of our clients, um, at first when I joined, we didn't do much sponsorship in sport. It was a lot of arts, a lot of uh, venues. And then we uh, had Saracens as a client. Um, and it meant I would go along to the home games at Saracen. And I fell in love with just the event side of it and how um, how they how all week sort of gears to in rugby. It was a Sunday. Um I then got approached by a rugby club called London Welsh. Um, they'd just been re-promoted to the Premiership. I went there and the, the brief was, well, the idea was that they were going to be similar to Exeter have done and um, and Bristol have done in rugby. They were going to defy the odds and they were going to um, stay up and challenge. Well, that season... We didn't get a point. Oh, we got one point. We got a bonus point, point uh, loss, but we didn't win one game. Um, so if anything was going to teach me how to sell hospitality or sponsorship <laughs> or tickets in a season, that really that really uh, was a tough season. But it was great fun as well, and I learned quite a lot in there. I left there to join another rugby club, a London Irish, and I was very happy. And I was driving home one day, and I got a call from a recruiter who said uh, there's a football club looking and your name's been mentioned. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. I'm really happy where I am. And then he said, well, just before you go, it's Watford. Well, I was a Watford season ticket holder. um, And then it suddenly all clicked in. And then the process to get the job lasted about a month. But it was the longest month of my life, I think, because suddenly I'd gone from not being interested to being desperate to, to get the job. And... Um, I remember the first day I walked in here, um, just being so delighted to be here and feeling um, feeling it was the right move for me. And that was five years ago. And I've lo- I, apart from a couple of times last season, I've loved every minute of it. So um, yeah, it's 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 good fun. And I could go and get a proper job if I wanted to, but instead I'll do this. 
Well, do you know what, Paul? I wasn't expecting that answer to that. I don't know what Sorry. I was expecting, but no, no, it's, it's a brilliant answer. It, it just, it, it just goes to prove the the wide diversity of people who work in football and this the circumstances by which you got the job. And both Kieran and I um, are very proud of our working class backgrounds. We play a little game as to who's more working class than the other. We call it prolier than now. Um, but it, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's it's lovely to have somebody like you join around and to join your your club. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Watford. And I presume the difference between working for a rugby club and working for a, a, a Premier League football club, as it was, is is one of scale and finance. Is it? Yeah, I, I think the truth is in in when you're selling anything, people um, people buy off people. So you keep the relationships. Um, uh, um, as close as you can. I have a great relationship uh, with all of our partners, um, our hospitality clients. You have to keep those relationships really tight. Um, and that has really helped out in the last six months. The last six months has been hard, but I think a lot of the, not just me, but a lot of the, the work we've done here behind the scenes of, of how close we are to our partners has really, really come through. And our, our partners have been incredibly supportive in the last six months. Mm. Um, you're right. The scale is, it, it's the same sort of role, just the scale's different. Like I remember a first, a couple of years ago, looking at the Premier League attracted a 3.2 billion global audience. Mm. Um, and it's a fantastic thing to go out and sell, but it's, it's no different selling that to what I was selling in rugby or selling a sponsorship agency or even selling now at the EFL. The only difference is the decimal points in a different mm. place. Mm. But you still go with the same, um, the same set, selling tactic as well. And the thing that I've always been key, keen on here and in any part, and at the minute it's tough, but not to join in on that race to the bottom. So you don't negotiate, you don't negotiate hard because – um, your brand is more important than anything here. And at the moment, we're being offered silly deals. Um, and I agreed a deal for a second-tier partner two weeks ago, and they've just kept coming back and coming back, trying to chip us down on price. Mm. And we've walked away from it because we don't want to join in on this race to the bottom because once you get there, it's very, very hard to get back. As I say, Kieran, that's quite a a risky policy, isn't it, really? If you if you're, if you're at this stage of the pandemic if you're being offered any sort of money the temptation must be to take it i guess uh, there there is that it depends how desperate for cash you are but i think paul's totally right in the, in the approach that he's taking what once once you've given the brand away for nothing mm. and remember i think this is also linked to pay-per-view to a certain extent it's actually very difficult to then to negotiate your price upwards because they turn around and say to you well hold on 12 months ago you're asking x and now you're asking 3x mm. we're not getting 3x from ourselves so uh, I think it is the approach to take it's i've spoken to other commercial directors um who have said it, it can be a bum fight at times, uh, but I, I do I do totally support the uh, the strategy that that Paul's employing at Watford. Paul, I, I, th- sorry, I, I Paul, think no. sorry, just just uh, to go back on it. That, that's not a strategy just for me. That comes from a very top. Our chairman's very keen on not. Um, we have a strategy in place and not going away from that strategy. And an example from this, and without going into granular details, we was pitched something about a month ago, a, a deal. I came back with a figure it dried in, in mind, and then they came back 
and they said, well, we can get it from another club 90% cheaper. Wow. And I said, well, right. good. Yeah. Uh, greatest respect. Good luck to them. Yeah. And they, they said that they wanted Watford because we'll be on TV more and we should be a top six club. Mm. That's why you pay more. And that's that's really our process we're going through here. We just, as Kieran says, we're not going to, if you give a brand away, then it's very difficult to get it back down the line. Mm. You mentioned that you enjoyed last season, apart from a couple of moments, obviously. Is, is a possible relegation, especially when it's unexpected for a club like Watford, is that the sort of thing you factor in at the start of a season or do you just sort of go, uh-oh, around about February? <laughs> we, <laughs> we factored in a relegation, what I'd never factored in, and I imagine what another 92 <laughs> yeah. uh, clubs in factoring is that we wouldn't have any uh, attendance for a year. Yeah. Um, and something we've always looked at is what happens when the broadcasting money comes down, what what that effect that would have to the football club. And we've been doing that for years, but I never sat there for one minute and thought what would happen if we didn't have anyone in our stadium for a year. Yeah, yeah. And that that came really out of the blue, as it, obviously, as it did for everyone. But the cocktail of relegation and COVID yeah. has been very hard. Yeah. I, I mean, does it sort of just drive a lot of your traffic online, basically? I mean, do you still are you still able to, to for want of a better word, sell products, but you just can't do it around the ground, so you have to do it in more imaginative ways? It, well, in retail, has obviously gone online, so we've had to close down both stores this week uh, or tonight. Um, but that will all go online. Our online it is... It, Traffic's been picking up a lot in the last couple of years anyway. So, yes, that's online. Regarding partnerships, yes, we are, we've are. we just brought on a new digital agency really to help uh, put a bit more core competence into the, the digital sponsorships. Um, we've, we've just signed with a company called Rivals, who are a big US um, esports platform to create a um, white label platform for us which is going to be the Watford esports community um and there's some great opportunities for sponsorship there so yeah but th- there has been opportunities digitally um all of our networks gone digitally as well we were doing a beanbacks which um a lot of clubs and I see Brighton or Brighton and Palace have been doing them as yeah. well but obviously that's had to stop now which yeah. which was a shame because we we were really happy with ours and um that's been a, a bit of a kick in teeth, but we obviously we understand why it's had to stop. Now, obviously, Kieran supports um, a kind of small regional team, but yeah, you're a Watford fan. You work for Watford. I'm a Palace fan. So our clubs are of a similar size. And I guess more of our fans are based in South London and Hertfordshire rather than America or, or Malaysia. Does that make your job harder in terms of attracting advertising and sponsorship? Or does a passionate local crowd have its own appeal to various companies? Um. I think this goes back to your scale question from the start is when when you're talking about the second tier partners, people are sponsoring us because we are Watford. When it comes to the front of shirts, the, um, the sleeve, this is in the Premier League, the sleeve uh, and the technical partner, that's because it's EPL and, and it's the huge uh, glo- global audience which it brings. Um, I know you talk about this a lot on your on your podcast, but People, when you go overseas, people don't say they're Watford fans or Palace fans or Brighton fans. They are Premier League fans. Mm. That and people follow the Premier League, and it's so. We do have 
we're starting to get more and more fans overseas and we've done a huge amount of work for Matt. Um, America's got our second um, highest amount of fan base. We partner with American Airlines who are really helping us drive um, more, a uh, bigger fan base in there. Obviously, one, uh, Premier League really helped that as well. Um, but to, to answer your question, it is a mixture of both. And um, I think Palace have done really well on that. I, I know the commercial director really well. He's, he's a really good guy. And they've done well to get those local brands on board, but also the, the more global brands coming as well. And I, I'd say we've done the same really over the last few years. It's a difficult balancing act isn't it because you know what football fans are like They've, they can be very parochial so there's that worry for some of them that the more global brands you attract the more the local fan feels left out and I, I think that's something that Liverpool for example are starting to feel and I think it's something that your club and my club do do very well but it's something you need to be aware of isn't it that keeping that relationship with the people who come to see you week in week out. So, yeah, we have a data agency and we did a survey of our season ticket holders or a partnerships um, survey. And it was really interesting findings. And one of the questions was, what do you want out of a partnership? Um, Mm. Whether it was giveaways, whether it was a local brand, whether all of these questions. But the one that came out and one by some way, I think it's got about 75 percent of the vote was just a financial um, payment to the club, the biggest fam- oh, financial wow. payment you can do. So, which surprised me because, yeah, we, we've been accused of, of, of that. And obviously, we, like Palace, have a um, betting partner on the front of a shirt as well, which mm. we're, we're a family club. We, um, But I think our fans have been quite accepting of that. And I, I mentioned... AA a minute ago, American Airlines a minute ago, but one of the first things they did when they sponsored the club is they did a competition where they were giving away free flights um, around the world to, I think it was any location you wanted where, where they flew to. So they were trying to, they got into the fans very quickly there, which which does help when the season ticket holders get a chance to fly to Hawaii free of charge. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure Kieran's managed to get free flights to Hawaii somewhere. That's definitely on your list of exotic locations where you've had girlfriends, Kieran, isn't it? Possibly, possibly, yeah. Kevin. Um, you mentioned that the the gambling sponsorship on the front of your shirt, it's on the front of Palace's shirt and many and many others. Uh, presumably you've kept an eye on the, the news from Spain where they're, they're banning all mm. betting sponsorship by the end of the season. Is that something that you're slightly anxious about? Because we've already seen a House of Commons, a House of Lords committee suggesting similar here. That's notwithstanding the moral issues of gambling, which is a completely different issue. There's a lot of clubs will take a big hit if if that's a rule that's instigated in this country, isn't it? Won't they? So our, so our sister club is Udinese in its Serie A, who have had this for the last few years as well. So yeah. we we completely understand. Well, I say we understand. It will be an interesting one. It will be an interesting one how it is governed and if somebody's got a 10-year deal with a betting partner on the front of a shirt now, does does that mean they can keep it for the next 10 years as long mm. as that contract is in place? So it'll be interesting. But, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make me anxious. Not really. It just, again, it just changes the way we sell. Um, I think that's not what's keeping me up at, at, at night. Um, and it, it's just how we sell and it, it just – it does change the landscape um of of front of shirt sponsors um 
Yeah, time will tell there. But it's been discussed for a long time, hasn't mm. it? Labour Party put it on their manifesto yeah. in the last um, in the last election. So we've been across it for some time. This is not a question I can ever ask Kieran. So what what is keeping you up at night other than the pandemic? Um, <laughs> I've it's funny. I was just chatting my head of communications about this. It just as I'm falling asleep, a something comes into my head, thinking, "Oh, I'd never reply to that person today." Oh, really? So I yeah, do yeah. at eleven o'clock, and then uh, then I'm a wide awake for the next couple of hours. So um, yeah, it, the pandemic obviously the more the quicker we can get fans back into a stadium mm. in a safe environment, the better for everyone. Really, that's that's uh, that would help me sleep at night. Do you feel more responsibility then working for the club that you support and that you love? Right. So it's, it's obviously more than just a job for you, isn't it? So do you think somebody who wouldn't, doesn't support Watford would be more able to, to switch off when they walk away in the evening? I feel it's a really good question. I never thought about it. I, I, I think that the person who ultimately I need, ultimately I need to look in the mirror at the end of the day and, think did I do a good enough job today for my club um, and whether it's because I support the club or whether it's because this club's been very good to me over the last five years and and in my lifetime it I, I don't know I, I don't know the answer to that because I can't remember what it was like when I didn't work for a club now it feels like such a long time but yeah but there is there's definitely a sense of um, that I want to do right for the club long term not just mm. short term and maybe if it was if I felt oh, I'm going to work here for a year then go somewhere else for a year and something I wouldn't feel like that but in every decision we make um and I keep saying I and it's not I so it's a we here yeah, we, of course, of we, course. we work really closely with all departments but in, in every decision we make it needs to be for a long-term future of this football club not not just because it suits me and speaking of the long-term future are you able to plan already for next season once this is over do you expect that you would bounce back commercially very quickly yes i do actually um i am growing up as a watford fan i shouldn't be confident because i've spent half uh, most of my support in life in this division and as you guys know it's not the easiest division to get out of yeah but i am confident we'll get out so the plans are already in place for next season and and what we've tried to do here really 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 tried and it is t- tough in this in this environment is not to kick the can down the road so we didn't sell season tickets we're one of a one of a few who didn't in this league so it was a um we did a secure seat 20 pound and then it was going to be a match uh, match day by under these um why we were in restricted um attendances so the good thing about that is if, as long as we get five, six, seven games this season, we won't need to kick the can down the road at all for next uh, for the 21-22 season, which means although this is absolute hell of a year, we'll, I'm th- I, I believe we'll come out stronger. Paul, let's, let's finish. As you're a Watford fan, let's do what we very rarely get a chance to do on this pod, which upsets me a little, and actually talk about football because... You've made a you've made a decent start. You've got a big game tonight against Stoke. I think that in true Stekong on Jao Pedro, you've got two of the most exciting players in that division. And considering one of them's a defender, that's a big yeah. that's a, a big thing to say. I think you look a really good team to watch, and you 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 look well placed, don't you, to bounce back? 
I think so. You look down our, through our squad, the quality is incredible. Um, it's 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 tough because it's normally in a in a championship as you guys know it's is a, a lot of tuesday nights a lot of yeah. saturday tuesday saturday tuesday well it's even worse this season because tr- it's a truncated season so the 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 thing which i think vlad has to um, get right this season is going to be the chopping and changing because he's going to have to play, rest players but we have such a large squad that shouldn't be of a problem. Um, that said, look, going to Wickham last week and then Barnsley and yeah, yeah. those are ones you sort of look at on paper and you think, well, we should be winning those games, but it's not like that in the championship. And um, it, it, it's they are tough games, and every team we play, I sort of look down the list and think, yeah, he's he's a good player, he's a good player, he's a good player. So there's a lot of quality in this league and. It, it's proven. I, I actually can't remember the last team uh, uh, before Fulham who bounced straight back up, and I, probably it was Newcastle United. Um, yeah. And I believe they lost 10 or 11 games that season. So it, it shows that it, it's really dog-eat-dog in, in this league. So, But tonight's a tough game. Um, might suit us a bit better against Stoke, actually, uh, and we'll see. And then we've got Coventry before the international break. So if we do hit six points... Um, uh, if we do hit six points in the next uh, few days, then um, then I'll be very happy with that going into the international break. And you've also got ex-Palace and Brighton legend Glenn Murray. I, I I nearly made him smile once. It's one of my proudest moments. He's a he's a taciturn lad, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He is. He's a, he's a very he's a very good guy, but he's almost comically pessimistic, which I, which I like about him. Yeah, I haven't got to know him very well here because we're in uh, different bubbles, actually, from a stadium to a training ground. So, oh, of course. Oh, of course. yeah, it's it's not as easy as it normally is. But I know he's a very popular uh, guy, uh, lad. So, um, yeah, it's it's great to have him here. But obviously, he paid for both of you two, didn't he? So he did, and he it's it's hard to tell Kieran which club he was more of a legend for. I mean, probably. The FFS Murray is still one of a, a lot of tattoos that Palace fans have still got. So I think maybe we edge it. Paul, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's, it's really interesting to talk to somebody who's a passionate fan of the club and working for the club as well. And it's been a really interesting insight into the, the difficulties you're working with at the moment. But it's nice to hear you be optimistic about next season and how you hope to bounce back both football-wise and commercially. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate that. Well, it's a pleasure to be invited on, actually. And I, I must say, you two, it's a great listen. I pass on pass off so much information that you say as my own. So you, <laughs> you help my career. Um, and it is a good listen. I, actually, whoever starts here, I make them read Kieran's book as well. So maybe that's why we've, we're getting a bit of a churn on staff at the minute. But uh, yeah, it's, it's great what you two are doing. Well, you could you could make them read my book as well, except not the Watford chapter, probably for the best. Um, I, I haven't come across that one actually yet. But uh, uh, yes, I've, well, my book's called "Who Are You?" It's a, it's a, a, a left field comedy history of ninety two football clubs, uh, and I wrote the Watford chapter after coming back from a particularly bad tempered nil nil draw uh, and drinking all the way home on the train, and it was the only chapter the editor suggested I rewrite. Oh, um, lovely! Yeah, okay, no, it's, good. it's a proper history. It's a proper history of your club, and also I love the fact that you you pass off information from Kieran as your own because 
I literally forget everything he tells me the minute <laughs> I walk away from the post. It's stupid. People stop me in the street and say, "Can you tell me anything about Newcastle's amortisation program?" Well, what? No, I can't, mate. You'll have to. You'll have to. You have to tweet. Here and he'll tell you, but it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Paul, and and genuinely wish what for the best of luck for the coming season. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. That was um, I found that a really illuminating interview, Kieran, especially that that refusal to be you know driven to the bottom, basically to allow companies, partners, potential sponsors to take advantage of the, the pandemic to, to drive very bad deals for the club and good deals for the sponsors. Yeah, once you're in a bad deal, it takes a hell of a lot of time to get out of it. So, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure you know, the fact that Paul's got backing from his, his chief executive as well, you know, they, they know they, the, what they consider to be the value of the club as a brand, as, as a commercial partner. Um, this is, for me, textbook you know when i'm when i'm listening to my marketing colleagues teaching on the mba course he's doing exactly the right thing here yeah speaking of textbook i was slightly annoyed that you'd heard of your book but not heard of mine that's a that was a bit of a blow to the confidence kieran i have to say but i i hope you noticed that i went through an entire interview with somebody from watford without mentioning the most annoying mascot in football <laughs> uh, i'm not even going to name the buzzy little but yeah anyway um Three more stories to go. Short stories. I know you've you've got to be somewhere else, Kieran. Of course, you have. It's a it's a Wednesday. Watford spiritual home, of course, is Vicarage Road. And this week saw, in a rare piece of good news, the return of Wimbledon to Plough Lane. Uh, I know a lot of Wimbledon fans, Kieran, and there's been quite a few misty eyes around SW19 this week. Yeah, and it's taken nearly thirty years. I, I mean, know, you know, there's there's so many fans who who won't have seen the club return or won't get the opportunity uh, because of this this, uh, this, this long period. Um, you've got to give the, the people at AFC Wimbledon a huge amount of credit that um, they've They've struggled to raise money at times yeah, as a result of COVID, as a result of banks uh, taking a dim view of football clubs. So they went through the the uh, the Don's bond, the Wimbledon bond mm. uh, approach, which raised around about four and a half million pounds. I think a rich fan came in and chipped in another couple of a million. Um, so so they, they had their first match uh, on, on Tuesday night against Doncaster. It, it was a shame that Doncaster got a 91st-minute equaliser. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been sort of, you know, sort yeah. of the, you know, the, the perfect romantic tale. The tale. But uh, you know, Dickie Guy was there, Terry Gibson, John Scales. Um, and I'm sure that for all of the Wimbledon fans who were watching it, the match in local pubs, because that, that's how I understand that they, they sort of filled, filled out uh, the locality and, and did a bit of cheering afterwards yeah. uh, will be desperate for this uh, this latest lockdown to end and and hopefully when it does end the government will see a bit more sense and start to let fans in in restricted numbers using protocols and so on as we've been saying from day one yeah as they seem to be doing in most eastern european countries at the moment it's it's terrifying to think that it's nearly 30 years it's taken them to get back to plow lane because i compared the first ever fundraiser to raise money for the the phoenix club um and that doesn't seem like 30 years ago uh but i'm i'm actually delighted this, this you know we we have a strange relationship with Wimbledon fans because of their uh their attitude when they share their ground and you, you can't blame them in hindsight but i don't think any football fan could be 
to could be upset at seeing them back in their spiritual home. And hopefully there'll be Berry fans and Macclesfield fans listening to this who think that their day will come as well. Now, Kieran, two stories to get through quite quickly. Um, the first one, I, I like this because Guy has put uh, French newspaper Le Parisienne. Uh, I don't know why producer Guy felt the need to add the French newspaper bit there. And, and unless, of course, there is a German newspaper that's somewhat disconcertingly called Le Parisien, but it's French news. I'm just merely reading what I've, what I've... I could have cut it out when I wrote it out from his email, but I thought I'd leave it in just to, to so people know what we're dealing with here. But anyway, Le Parisien um, are reporting, and they're normally quite a reliable source. They're reporting that UEFA are considering making Russia the sole host of the Euros next year. Presumably this is just a contingency plan, Kieran, because you've still got a ticket for Wembley, haven't you? I've got, yeah, I've got two tickets for Wembley and one for Dublin. Um, I, I guess this is potentially UEFA looking at the scenario where they're going to want the competition to take place because they, they can't defer it another year because we're moving into World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they've still got very, very big TV deals that they've signed and they can't afford to give the money back. Um, so this will, if you, if you have a single uh, country as a host, and the reason why Russia has been suggested was that it, uh, of course, hosted the, the, the World Cup in 2018. So therefore, it, in theory, it has the infrastructure, uh, it has the stadia, which are already compliant with FIFA in terms of size and so on. So we, we could squeeze it in. Um, I, I don't think the Baroness would be over keen at me going back to Russia, if truth be told, with my tickets. Um, and uh, but uh, the, the the benefits would be single country. Um, I think the downside is that if anybody's familiar with with Russia, it, it is a damn big country. So it, it's it's not a case of just jumping on a train from one place to another. Um, and then there would be what's going to happen to uh, you know, Dublin, Glasgow, mm. London, uh, Azerbaijan, Berlin, and, and you know, all these other places um, where the the countries have already effectively uh, touted for the work and, and, and have committed to pay mm. pay UA for a, a hosting fee. So it, it will get messy. I th- this this is one thing in, in terms of consideration. Um, and it is being driven by money because uh, I think a lot of people would say, in, in the wider context of things, the players are going to be absolutely knackered by the end of this season Fair because point, yeah. we're, we're trying to squeeze in, uh, you know, ten months of football into eight months, and they've only they didn't have a proper break. So the player, the, the standard of performance isn't going to be great. Um, if, if it's taking place even at Russia in Russia in empty stadia, then. You've got to ask yourself what what is the point? It's it's purely being driven by UEFA fearing to having to give huge rebates back to broadcasters. Well, I was going to say I'm, I'm guessing one of the reasons that they've chosen Russia now is because they are much further down the road towards getting people back in stadia than than we are. The, the you know their test and tracing has been more effective than than Western Europe. Um, so maybe they think that a tournament, even if, as we say, God forbid, this is still going on next summer, they will at least be able to have some fans. And I think, don't don't worry about the Baroness. You know, she respects my skills as a pub lawyer. I think she'll understand that. You know, it's it's legally binding that if your ticket is swapped, and you have to go to Moscow. Is this the, you'd be breaking the law not to go to Russia, Kieran? Essentially, yeah, I, I think she's more concerned about me coming back alive, given that there's. Uh... It's a big country, Kieran. Her, I don't think I don't think that girl's brothers will will be able to track you down, really. It, it's her sister. I'm worried about. Oh, really? Her sister? Oh, oh yeah. We haven't. Got yeah, time. That, got... yeah. The uh, she she told her sister that I'd been sent by God to make her happy. 
Wow, wow, that's a compliment, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, I'd, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I'd love to get that sort of review afterwards. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of, of that from Edinburgh, have you? Yeah, no, I haven't. That's an old trip advisor. That's a really you sent by God to make it hell. Well, there you go. Um, I'm almost reluctant to ask the last question now, because it's going to be a, uh, anticlimax. Is not the right word, is it? Really, but it's, it's the only one that came to my head. Um, Meza Ozil. Uh, we we hailed him last week as a as a distributor of wealth by paying brilliantly for fourteen hundred uh, school meals, free school meals for North London children. But uh, Rob bizarrely, he's now joined an American venture capital fund as an advisor. It's a strange story, Kieran. It, it, it is. I think effectively he's 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 a front man. You know, he, he's a, he will be shaking hands. Uh, this particular venture capital fund, which is looking at uh, new tech companies and ideas in that nature, they've already got Serena Williams. They they've got David Beckham as sort of ambassadors. Um, and now Mesut Ozil, given that he's not spending a lot of time at training, um, has has been signed up. So, yeah, part of me says, well, you know, he, he's thinking outside of the box. Uh, he has been very generous with with some of his money. Uh, you know, we, we've heard about Gunnosaurus and and, and sponsoring yeah. all these meals, yeah. and um, so he is a guy with a social conscience. I think people get a bit upset about his wages too much. If if somebody offers you a lot of money as a salary, here's my advice: take it. Okay. You know, yeah, of course. So. You know, uh, the, 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 nobody forced Arsenal to offer him that money in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this is, uh, he, he's a smart guy as well. So I, th- I think he's probably got something to offer. Uh, but I, I suspect his role will be more on the ambassadorial side rather than the funding itself. Okay, Kira, we do have to wrap up because I know you've got other media commitments. So we'll take the uh, tawdry speech about the merchandise and about the five-star reviews as read this week, shall we? And we'll say that uh, our next pod will be on Monday and it's our usual questions pod. So if you've got questions about anything pertaining to some of the things we've talked about today, and I suspect Watford fans might have a few questions after the Paul O'Brien interview, then get in touch with us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Um in the meantime, enjoy your weekend of football and we'll see you soon, Kieran. And let's, let's for old time's sake, as we're back in lockdown, just have your, your usual old-fashioned two-word farewell. Stay safe. The price of football. I'm for the